Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are continuing our series in longing for heaven. So again, part of the question for us is to ask the question of what happens when we die. Tolstoy Tolstoy is accredited with this quote. Is there any meaning that death does not destroy? Meaning that, again, most of us, if, if we're honest, any thought of us or any concern for us will die within two generations. People will forget who we are. People don't care. They won't care about all the things that were passed down that you've kept for now 50 plus years, 100 plus years. They're not going to care that it came from great grandma, great grandpa. It's something that's just cluttering the house. Pictures of people they don't know and they don't recognize. So it seems pretty harsh, doesn't it, that if death is truly all there is, then life truly is meaningless. So many people begin to ask or try to answer the question with, are we reincarnated? Do we become a different thing or maybe a different person? Maybe we become an angel, but for many people, it's just, do we just cease to exist What if there is no resurrection of the body? The Apostle Paul said this, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith, and we of all people are most to be pitied. Why is that? Well, the context of this passage is Paul is talking about the resurrection in all of 1 Corinthians 15, and we're only going to be looking a part of the passage, but a part of this right before this part of the passage, he starts asking these questions. If God is not, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then why do we go ahead and continue to suffer in this world? Why do we not get to the place where we eat, drink, for tomorrow we die? Just party! And we, of all people, again, should be pitied if we don't believe that there's a resurrection. Have an extra day at the beach. Have an extra day. Keep your money and go on a better trip. Have a better car. But if Christ is raised from the dead, and he is, then we know that because he's alive, death is not the end, and life is full of meaning. So this is where we find ourselves coming today at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he is so chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star and glory." And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. For the first man was of dust, a man as of dust, and the second man is of heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust, and as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to a passage that many people in those days, as well as our own time, begin to ask the question, is there really a resurrection from the dead? And so, Father, as we unpack this passage this morning, may you give us your truth and allow it to make truly deep roots into our life, Lord, that we can see that Jesus is alive. And as our second Adam, as our prototype, he is the one who gives us hope and allows us to live life to the full, even to everlasting. So, Father, teach us. And, Father, I pray that you would change us. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to look at these two questions that Paul asks, or are being asked of Paul. And the first one are, how are the dead raised? Now, I want you to understand that, again, we're talking about three different aspects. And so we had Eden that was supposed to be truly heaven on earth, and they were supposed to go out and expand, but there is the fall. So now we're in the midst of what we call the, the heaven and earth here now. But we still look into the day where there's the new heavens and the new earth. So between the time of the heaven and earth now, there will be a resurrection. And a resurrection, as Mickey read for us earlier from the passage that we read from, there's a, everyone's going to be resurrected. It's not just Christians. Everyone's going to be resurrected. But those who are Christians, we're going to go to the new heavens and the new earth. But those who are set for evil, we go to the lake of fire. So everyone's going to be resurrected. So they start having these questions in regards to the resurrection. And the first question are, how are the dead raised? And so Paul responds to them by saying, you have knowledge. And the first thing he wants them to do is to think. Now, I've got some young people in my family, and I have some millennials. And so they're on their phones all the time. And so usually at uh, supper time, it becomes a time for weird jokes to come out. So there's things like shower thoughts. So they're looking up on their phones and they're laughing and, and going through things. And so there are things that are, are trying to, to get you to, to grasp the riddle, to get, get you to understand what's being said. So things like this, we value, the places say we value your privacy, but then they list all the ways that they will violate your privacy. The silver lining to the tech age is destroying, even though they're destroying their environment, is that they will at least have a whole lot of videos of what nature used to look like. This is probably the best one for me, or the one that I thought was the funniest. Vacuums are the only thing that don't suck if they break. Now, that's a good joke. But all these things are going on because, again, there's, it's a common sense kind of understanding. And so what happens is, is Paul is telling the problem to the people, what you have a problem with is you are denying the power of God. You don't think God can raise the people from the dead. And so he responds to me, he says, you foolish people. Now again, according to scriptures, this is a harsh statement. Remember, we're told from scripture, don't call someone a fool. And yet Paul here 
says to all of mankind, you foolish people, do you not have common sense? And here's why. He says, I want you to look at the things that are around you in everyday life. And I want you to see the power of God through them. And so what he does is he starts to talk about death. See, what happens is in this passage, he does a reverse of the creation order. Hopefully you picked up on that. So if you go back to the beginning, he put order in the process of creation. But then he reverses it because what has to happen is there has to be an entire renovation of creation. Everything has to change. And so for that to happen, there has to be a death to bring forth life. See, for the Christian, death is not an obstacle, but it's a means to find what is fulfilling. And so Paul goes through very specific things. He uses a horticultural example, uses a biological example, and an astrological example. And he's saying, look and know and see the power of God. So the first thing he does is he takes us to a horticultural example. And he takes us to the fields and the gardens. And he says, look, every one of these tells the same story. Their seed must die in order to bring forth life. So there is death and resurrection just as you look out on the farmlands, as you look in your gardens, as you look anywhere around you that you see the the earth growing, it's showing you an example of death to life. Now he also wants to tell us about the transformation that happens within the horticultural. So there is a discontinuity. And again, he's applying this to our being. So there's a discontinuity, meaning that seed ultimately changes into a plant or a tree. So it does change. It changes from the seed into the plant. So there is a change. You don't want to plant a seed and get a seed. That doesn't help us. We want the seed to the plant. But at the same time, there's discontinuity. There's also continuity, meaning this, a specific seed brings forth a specific plant. You plant an acorn, you're going to get an oak tree. You're not going to get a myrtle tree. You're not going to get an orange tree. You plant an acorn, you get the oak tree. You plant a pumpkin seed, you're going to get a pumpkin. We don't go around and randomly throw out seeds and and then look and go, well, I'm surprised. I threw out pumpkin seeds, but I got corn. We don't do that because God has placed within the transformation of horticulture things that must happen. The rules. And as such, we need to be reminded that every time that we go out and we see living things, God is showing forth how death brings forth resurrection. So again, you're with the gospel all the time. You're never without an example. Pick up a plant around someone and say, you know what? This this went from death to resurrection. And so can your life be with Christ. But he also says it's not just in the horticultural society part of our culture. It's also in the biological. Now he says in regards that God is the creator. And he says to each seed he gave his own body. But not all flesh is the same. For there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Now part of what he's saying here is that he in creation is the creator. And he's given with a purpose. Which means evolution is not right. Can't be. 
Now, I'm not trying to, to say that there can't be things that happen and, and find themselves being manipulated by the environment. That's not evolution. Again, we don't see one species cross over into another species. God made it that way. And so God has said very specifically that everything is unique. Everybody was created for its environment. Man was given a specific body for his environment. Animals were given their bodies for their environment. Fish for their environment. Birds for their environment. I don't go and start petting my wife's hair thinking I'm going to find scales. Or looking for gills. I don't look for you all to come in with feathers and start going, oh, well, you know, they're kind of in their transformation. So I guess they're going to start living on a mountain. They're going to start jumping off. He gives us a specific body to fit the environment. So why would we not think that God's going to resurrect us from the dead and give us a new body that's going to fit our new environment perfectly? That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. God creates us uniquely and he gives us, nobody's the same, nobody's the same. And in his uniqueness, he says, I am creating you to be perfect for the environment that I'm creating for you. And so he does this, but he also connects it to the astrological. And he starts talking about the heavenly bodies. So again, if you look up in the night sky, what do you see? Well, if we're honest, we kind of see the same white lights in in the dark sky. But we only have to look at what the Hubble telescope has brought us, right? And we go and see that every heavenly body is different. Think about that creation. Not one person, not one thing, not one snowflake, not one planet, not one sun is ever copied completely. That's the God we serve. And he says there's a, they're different in size, they're different in shape, they're different in color, they're different in distance. Different gases are upon them. And so we have to understand that the God who brings all of this, and by, listen, the power of his word, he's not out there forming these planets, he's speaking them into existence. And in this power, there's infinite power. And the infinite power comes from this, from God who has a creative capacity is also the one who is infinitely powerful to bring all people back from the dead. So Paul's telling them, how are the dead raised? They have to die in order to be raised. And they have to do this because God is all-powerful. And as he raised his son from the dead, so he will also raise everyone else from the dead. Okay, we got that part now, right? So what about the second question? And the second question is, with what kind of body do they come? And this is where Paul starts going in. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. I'm going to stop there because there's a change that I think that happens there. So we look at what kind of body do they come. So the first part of the body is to look at our natural body. So how is this brought? Well, first of all, it says it's perishable. 
which means that our bodies are frail. They're temporary. It's why we deal with sickness. It's why we have pain. It's why there's suffering. It's why we get disgusted when we look in the mirror as we get older. Things move. That shouldn't be moving. We get up in the morning, things pop that shouldn't be popping. Everything you're doing, young people, has an effect later on. Just you wait. (laughs) But there's all this suffering that goes on because of our frail, temporary bodies, and we know that death is ultimate. We can't stop it. It doesn't matter how great our medication gets. It doesn't matter um, how much you freeze your body parts. You can't stop death. Because we are found in a perishable body. The second thing is we are bound in a body that's of dishonor. Now, the understanding of this in the scripture means kind of it's it's a loss of rights. So specifically Roman citizenship. So, so what does that mean? That means that, that we've lost or we have been removed from citizenship. Why? Because of shame and disgrace. We have done things within our bodies, within our thought life, within our actions that have removed us and should remove us from citizenship. It's why when people are put into prison, when people are taken away, that things are removed from them. Freedoms are removed from them. Because they're no longer considered to be a citizen with all the rights that come with it. Right? So if we, in the shame and disgrace that we have in regards to our actions and our thought lives, we lose citizenship. Here. And so we are raised in dishonor, but we're also raised in weakness. See, we're we're feeble people. How many, when I just told you, don't let your minds wander, your mind started to wander. We struggle with prayer. We all do. Father, Father, I want to stay focused upon you. Oh man, I, that, Chuck I caught yesterday was really fun. Oh, wait, 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 stop, stop, I gotta go back. One pastor used the example that he went to get his hair cut and the, the person that was cutting his hair started to cut the hairs off of his ear and he was so mad. He's like, that only happens to old people. And he was so ticked off that he was in public and they were doing his ears of showing his age and he was just like, I'm so tired of being this feeble person who continues to grow older. But only we feeble um, in regards to our physical body. We're also feeble in the sense that we are instruments of sin. Now, let's be honest. We enjoy sin. Even when we justify. Again, you know I'm really big about making you guys feel guilty about taking, well, you can't do it now because the theaters are closed, but stealing your candy in there and and your Cokes and all that kind of stuff, and you're taking in jackets during the summertime in Florida, stuffing it and everything like that. But that's easy for me because I don't take candy or drinks into the movie theater. But I do drive five miles over the speed limit and think that's okay. Well, that's not really sin. 
Everybody does it. The police themselves give you five mile over the speed limit. So what they need to do is change the sign. I'm not really sinning. It's them who should change the sign. See, we all like different sins. We all compromised to go to temporary momentary pleasures. So that's who we are. Sound familiar? But that's the natural body. But what Paul's saying to us is there's a body to come, and it's the spiritual body. And the first thing about the spiritual body is that it's imperishable, meaning it's unbreakable. It's our new heavenly bodies that are given to us, and they are eternal. They're everlasting. When we're resurrected, the the resurrected after we've died, it's one time only. We're not having to worry about it again. And so we're raised imperishable, but we're also raised in glory. So we lose our citizenship here by our actions, but we gain a heavenly citizenship. And when we gain our heavenly citizenship, we don't receive shame and disgrace. We receive honor. There's acts of valor. Think about that. You don't pin a medal on somebody for things that they've done wrong. You pin medals on people for things that they have done right. Acts of honor, of valor, of glory. And so we can look forward to the day where we would honor. And listen, this is Paul's remembering the time that he had the encounter with the living God. Remember, he's on the road. And he's going to kill people who believe in Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he blinds them with his glory. And listen, Apostle John tells us the same will be for us. Our glory will shine. Remember what happened with Moses when he came down after meeting with God? And remember, he couldn't even look at God's face at that point. But he is so overwhelmingly glorified in his brightness on his faith that the people said, we can't look at you. Put a mask on. Sound familiar? Put a mask on because we can't look at you. That's who you get to be. The glory of the Lord will be shown by you to everyone around you. But not just looking at the backside of God, we get to see him face to face. And so we are brought about in in an imperishable body, a glorified body, but a body with power. Everything that was feeble about us has grown strong. We have fortitude. And not only do we have a strong body, no longer do we have to deal with sickness. No longer do we have to deal with all of those things that come with killing our bodies and suffering and all that. But it also gives us a sense of righteousness. We will want to have a single-hearted devotion to God. No longer desire to sin. We want to glorify God and honor Him always. We want to worship Him And give service to him. Always. See that's what we're looking forward to. Now there is a change here that I think happens. Where it starts talking about the natural body and the spiritual body. So it says it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now here there is a change in the week. It's not in anymore. 
It's is. And I don't think it's really brought about in our passage. So it's, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. So again, this part here changes because there's a, there's a change in the Greek. So there's the sakios and the mnemonikos. So there's a change. Now, how are we supposed to understand? Because there's a lot written about this part of the passage. And a lot of people say, see, our bodies are going to be spiritual. That's not what it's saying. How do we know that? Because the Apostle Paul tells us by his own words. He uses these same words in regards to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So it's talking about having, in essence, two types of soul within us. We talk about this. It's the flesh and the spirit that fight. It's unregenerate and the regenerate. That's the difference. So there is a difference between saying that we are born in the natural body and then we're given a spiritual body, which means you're given a sinful body and you're given a holy body. It doesn't mean that we become spiritual beings forevermore in our resurrected being. That's not what that means. We're going to have a physical body in the resurrection. This matters. It matters. And just like with the plant, there's going to be discontinuity and there's going to be continuity. You are who you are for eternity. You're just going to be better than the bionic woman. Better than the bionic man. Better than Wonder Woman. Superman. Anything that we can create with our minds, we're going to be better than. That seems pretty cool. So there's a change that happens between the natural and the spiritual. And he's saying that the natural body was created for the here and now. And we also, we understand in our world even now that we can't do everything. When we send up astronauts, they have special suits. When we go scuba diving, you have special suits. When you go mountain climbing on Mount Everest, you go with special things. Our bodies are not suited for every environment. We know that. So Paul's saying, why don't you get this? The natural body was sown in sin, and it's for this world and this world only. But when you die and are resurrected, then here's what's going to happen. There's a change. And so what he does, he tells us the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam. So the first Adam, he says, was created from the earth. Makes sense. He was brought up, he was formed, and God gave him the breath of life. But he's always of dust. So we, everyone from him that's come after him, we are of dust. We go back to dust. So we are in his image. And he has, listen, Adam has nothing better to offer. He doesn't say, hey, once I reach the 100,000th generation for me, then you're a lotto winner. You get the new body. 
from generation to generation. We still get the same stupid, feeble, weak, dead body that Adam had. Congratulations. So we get this body, but there's the, the sense where, again, if we put that focus and that's our only focus, then it becomes overwhelming. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and this is something weird about your pastor. And I don't know why God has created me this way, but a lot of times, again, I've, I've told you, I think, a couple times before, I wake up with a song in my head. Okay? Now, this week was Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So I got to sing that a, a couple of times. Now, I didn't know all the verses, so I repeated the same verse over and over again. But that was the song that God gave me. Now, do you understand the words? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now it goes on. Soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life's more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Or a sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Now again, I want to be very careful. I don't want you to think that your pastor just has the 88 running through his head all the time. And I'm a super Christian and I get Jesus points. Okay, because at the same time this week I also had girlfriends in a coma running through my head as well. Okay, from so don't think I'm holier than you. But I do think God brings back to our memory the things that we need at the right time. And if you're not listening, and if you're not studying the word, there's nothing to bring back to memory. That's why it's a big deal. So and I know some of you look at McCartney and go, oh, he's too young, he's got too much energy. There's one thing about McCartney that he knows from all the beginning, every song we sing is God-centered and gospel-oriented. So it doesn't matter whether it's a hymn from thousands of years ago or it doesn't matter whether it's spiritual music. His sole purpose is to glorify and honor God. And part of the reason to do that is so that we might remember throughout the week. When we're in the midst of hardships and trials, we remember the songs. So it is amazing that God had this song of all songs this week. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now we have to have that because we look forward to the second Adam. See, Jesus is our prototype. He is raised from the dead. He did come back. He did do things in the body. And so he is our prototype. And so we look to him as our example. So we are supposed to, as Christians, bear the image of him. No longer Adam, we're supposed to bear the image of Christ, which means we should look at things different. Now, does that mean our bodies will do different things? John chapter 20 said that Jesus came and did two, two locked rooms. Now, does that mean that we get to, when we have our resurrection bodies, that we get to 
and move through things. That sounds really cool. I want to. Maybe not. Maybe that's just a Jesus thing. But he is our prototype. He is resurrected, and so he is the first says, which means the first fruits guarantee that the harvest is coming, which means we will be different. Guaranteed. And as such, listen, we will be resurrected. And not only that, listen to this. It's all going to happen at one time. It's not going to be, hey, you know, these people get to go first and these people come second and these people come later on down the road. God has enough power to resurrect every person who has ever died at the same moment. That's the God you serve. So what does this mean for us? So what? Well, here's some very practical applications. The first thing I want you to do is to look forward. Look forward to it. Quit hanging on to the things of earth. They're temporary. And again, if the world is true, your children and grandchildren don't want your stuff anyways. It's all going to end up in the dump. I don't care how nice of a story it has. And if it's not worth money and can be sold, it's gone. So look forward to the resurrection. Second thing, fight against sin. We know our, our, our hearts. We know we strive after temporary and, and things that are momentary. Fight the fight against sin. Stay in the word. Listen to songs that are going to not just edify theology be an accountability group find other people that you can be honest with tell people the truth and hear the correction and love but fight against sin and then thirdly remember that God is always aware of everything through and he never leaves you or forsakes you I want you to actually turn to Psalm 103 because this is what I want to end with. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, The Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he will not always chide, nor will he forever. 
And he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. But as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. For the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his king, kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may that be our cry that we would truly have our souls bless you because you are such a good and a loving God. And Father, for those that are here who are maybe struggling with the truth of the resurrection, for them it's a stumbling block, and we know that it's been a stumbling block for years and will continue to do so. Father, may you give them eyes to see the truth that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And for Father, for those of us who do know Christ, Lord, may we keep our eyes focused upon you. Lord, that we'd allow the world to grow strangely dim. That we would seek you. That we would fight the good fight. Lord, that we would truly seek to glorify you and honor you in all things and to be reminded constantly of your presence with us. Nowhere we can go, no place we can be, no sin that's too hard. Or we look forward to the day where we'll be citizens of heaven, perfected to give you all glory and honor, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.